but it's certainly a blessing to gather again to get together this morning. And we invite you to all step in here. You have quite an interesting Bible school committee here in Iowa this year. Did you notice what they did to you? They had a message for you in courtship this morning. Then they had you discussing it for an hour or more. And then they turn around and think that wasn't quite enough yet and ask us to talk about youth and their friends. And so it, 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 seems, like a, it, it seems like there's kind of a, an emphasis here on, on these relationships that turn out to be quite endearing. And I would like to start this morning by asking you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And anything that would be called a love tra- chapter should certainly be called a friend's chapter, should it not? And if we're going to have uh, friends at all, love should certainly be a part of it. I just want to show you here in, in this uh, very elementary and foundational teaching that's given here from verses 4 through 8, just how these selfless qualities that we have here coming from this gift of love affects our relationships with other people. And so if you have your Bible there, we'd like to start reading in verse 4. For for, for friendships, there are times that there's suffering. And so every time there's the word charity in in this passage, we can put friendship in there. Or friends in there. Friends suffer long. Friendship suffers long. It's kind. That's the way friendship is. Friendship envieth not. Friends do not envy one another. You're, you're, you're not friends very long if you're envying somebody else. Charity vaunteth not itself. Friendship does not exalt itself. Friendship is not looking for its bigger piece of the pie. Friendship is not vaunting itself upon other people. Friendship is not puffed up. Friends are not puffed up. You don't live well with people like that. You, you would probably not choose that person to be your friend. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Friendship does not seek her own. And if there's any verse in the Bible, if there's any phrase in the Bible that should give direction to your courtship, if that's where you are, it's that phrase right there. And any courtship engagement that I'm involved in where I am with that young lady or she's with a young man and seeking their own, uh, there, there's going to be a selfishness involved there that's going to result in self being satisfied which is not going to result in a pure altar of marriage in time to come. Certainly we have to look at that phrase there, seeketh not her own. is not easily provoked. You, you just cannot make friendship work very long if you never know that when that unpredictable person is going to fly off the handle. There's just no way that's going to work. And so there are things here that we have to look at ourselves. Not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Friendship doesn't do that. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Friendship can do that. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things and endureth all things. And then, as we said before, charity never runs out. Charity is never exhaustible. Charity is like the sun. You can plant as many acres of sunflowers as you want to, and you cannot exhaust the power of the sun. The sun will easily take care of it. Love is that way. And it, it, it will not run out of gas nor horsepower. Love is always there. 
And I'm going to just say this one more thing about courtship, though this is not my theme this morning. It was supposed to be about friendships, and friendships include far more than that special friend. But there is nothing wrong within our friendships in life to have a special friend. And, and, uh, but, but we treat them as friends. And I will say this about courtship, just to cement what you've been hearing this morning and the important things and discussions that you've already had in this Bible school today. And I'll use this illustration. I was on an airplane. And we're flying back to Costa Rica, and I was alone, and the plane was nearly empty. And that's very, very rare, because usually there's not a seat extra in the airplane when you go to Costa Rica. But this time, for some strange reason, it was at least over half the seats were empty. And I had gone back to the little room at the back of the plane, and uh, when I came front, the, the uh, tripulacion there, they, they were sitting down. There were two girls on this side, the, the the uh, flight attendants, so two, two girls were on this side. There was a young man sitting across the aisle on this side. And when I came up, the, the man stood up and said, sir, sir, sit down. He said, sir, sit down here with us. And he said, uh, I, I wanna, we want to ask you a question. And to answer this question, we did not want you to think about being, that, that we don't want you to take into consideration that you're either religious or married. Uh, do, do not think about being married right now. Do not think of anything religious. Just answer our question. I wonder, what kind of question is this? I'm not supposed to be religious nor married. And I don't know if I'm very religious or not, but I am married. And so I sat down, and then the man said to me, and these girls were really watching, these two, these two flight attendants, the ladies. They were really watching me to see what I was going to do. And, they, and they say, he said to me, if you were looking for a girlfriend, you want to marry somebody, would you want a fat wife or a thin one? Now, you just hang on here, and you, and because there's a lesson that comes right out of 1 Corinthians 13. It comes out of what I just read. Would you want a fat wife or a thin one? And then I noticed for the first time that these two flight attendants, the ladies, one was quite heavy, the one was quite thin. And th th then I figured out that they had a discussion going on here, and they were wondering what kind of person these men are looking for. And so they thought they'll, they'll take this oldster here that has a couple years of experience and sit him down and see what he has to say about it. So I sat there praying, trying to figure out how I should answer this question. And they told me I'm not supposed to be married nor religious. And I said, well, I'm sorry, sir, but the problem, with, the problem here in this discussion is that you've asked the wrong question. He said, what? I said, your question's not valid. Now they're, now they're listening. Now it's my turn. And I said to them, and now here, young fellows and girls, you heard what Brother Elvin said this morning, you've read your Bibles, you were in these discussion groups this morning, four of them. I said, if I want to marry a young lady, I want to marry the girl. I don't want to marry her body. She's a person. And I can't live with a body. No matter what the scale says, I have to live with a person. I wonder what the person's like. I'm looking for a quality person. That's what I must live with. I'm marrying her. I will live with her. She will be my wife. She'll be the mother of my children. It's more than a body. It's a person. You're looking at the wrong thing. These two girls, these two flight attendants, start, start jumping in their seats. It's right. It's right. He said right. He said right. And so I could tell that they were having this argument between themselves. And, and they were both wrong. Are you with that? And if you young men have that in mind, if you young ladies have that in mind, you're a long way to, first of all, forming proper friendships, and at the same time, 
Prepare yourself for finding that special friend. We're not looking at bodies here. We're going way, way beyond bodies. And if your courtship is a body courtship, it's going to be a failure. If your courtship is a friendship between persons that God has brought together and you are cultivating that relationship with a person, it will be a beautiful relationship. Now just think about that great big contrast. And remember that airplane story. You asked the wrong question. How do we cultivate relationships with a person? And God will bless you in anything that you're doing to get that done. But if this is a body context, if it's a body language, if it's a body pursuit, it won't, it won't fit into this category that we just read these verses here. Okay? Are we okay there? Now this theme of friendship is extremely large in the Bible. And I'm going to use all kinds of verses here, but because of time we won't turn to any of them, but most of you will recognize these verses. And it's surprising how much the Bible says about our friends. And it's surprising the effect that our friends have on us. And the reason why friendship is so important is because of what it turns out to do to us. And you know very well that birds of a feather flock together. And we choose our friends based upon whom we are. And I think it's important that it's a blessing in my life to have friends who are very, very opposite myself. Now, those of us who are cut out of a log with a chainsaw and hand-hewn, and, and uh, you know, we, we, we would be better off in a long home than in some kind of, you know, the kind of thing we have around here, uh, this ordinate and uh, well-polished and, and furbished and, you know, finished. Some of us, you know, we uh, never even used a hand plane on us. It's just kind of the rough thing, the way it came out of the, way it came out of the sawmill there, or the chainsaw. And I am drawn to people who are very different from what I am. I like preachers who are stately and quiet and careful and orderly in, in, in their presentation and, and, and logical and, and, you know, not up here just a bunch of jumping around. And, and I like people that just have really put that thing together and they, they, they preach with their minds instead of with their who knows whatever else and their antics. And I'm drawn to that kind of a person. And I would like to be that kind of person myself. But for some or another, I can't keep that chainsaw out of its, uh, it, it did what it did. And that's the way life is. We, I think it's right to be drawn. And sometimes opposites attract. But there are also experiences in times which our friends, our friends are drawn by common interests and common experiences that we've had together. We had a, a young lady in our, one of our congregations who contracted cancer at 14 years of age and went through a quite a number of cancer treatments. And in that hospital, in, in this very, very difficult time of her life, when life was hanging on a balance, and you meet in there a young man who is, is sharing a similar experience. And we had trouble then with her being drawn to him, though he was not a proper person to be, for her to be considering because of that common experience. And you see how that works. Uh, in the time when there was a draft situation in this United States of America and the young men of our churches were called into some kind of alternate service in lieu of military service and they were working in hospitals and there were nurses there and they were working every day with these nurses in very, very intense and difficult situations in hospitals. 
They, they were drawn very, very close to these young ladies, though they were from the society, from the culture, from the world, and they should not have been, but many marriages happened there. Marriages that ended in divorce, but many marriages happened there because of a common experience. And so we have to choose carefully who our friends are. And we must go beyond the experience and go beyond the common interest and be sure that there's a person there in whose heart God will benefit our own lives with that contribution and with that influence. Friends can betray us. My own familiar friend in whom I trusted had lifted up his heel against me. When Jesus met him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas came out there, the first thing he said to him was, my friend. Friend, is this what you're doing? Friend, is this what you're coming to do? Friends can do that. The Bible tells us that one of the first things we should do, young men, young women, is take a look at the friends that our fathers and mothers have. It tells us this in Proverbs. It's very, very interesting. And do all we can to retain the friendship of your parents' friends. And that's an excellent way to start. And when you're young and, and at this age in life and you have a lot of social activities in your homes and visitors come through there and you see your parents appreciate and they come from another state, they travel and get together, you spend some time, learn from those people. Spend time with your father and mother's friends. It's an excellent preparation for your own friendships. And you don't, you don't, you don't, uh, gain anything by losing those very first friends that are already part of your family experience. The Bible tells us to be sure but careful about that. We can say about friends what Jesus said and taught about neighbors. Who is my neighbor? Who is my friend? And so I'm bringing this up to tell us that that teacher of the law was not prepared for Jesus' answer when he said, on, from Jerusalem to Jericho, we're traveling every day and many of the fallen ones that lie along the way and that's, that person's your neighbor when you have a chance to befriend him. That's the way friends are. There are all kinds of people who are not, do not have friends and they're lonely out there and they're by themselves in difficult situations and we can befriend them. And when people are like that come into our lives, it's an opportunity for us because we're Christians. We can befriend them. We were preaching in Washington Square Park in New York City. And there was a black Muslim man there, and he could not stand this Christian testimony that was going on there in his city. And he was vehement. He was standing there threatening us and screaming, and he was, he was a big fellow. And he was against this thing, and he was not going to have these Christians around here. And as this crowd was gathering, I don't know if they gathered to hear us or gathering to hear him, but it, was, it made it certainly an interesting audience. And these, these people kept gathering in there, and more and more people come to hear this, what this Muslim gentleman was saying. But now the thing's over. We, finished, we, we kind of finished our presentation, and this fellow's over there still steaming, and he's still upset. So I decided, let's see what happens. I walked over to him. I said, sir, I said, I noticed that you were having quite a trouble with that group of people over there, those Christians you called them. Well, what was wrong with you there? What, were you think, what did you think about those people? You, you seem to be quite disturbed. Tell me, how did you feel about those people over there? Uh, I said, they're Christians. They got all the massage powers in this city. They're the ones that cause all the wars. They're, they're, they're the worst thing we get, the worst influence we have in this city. Oh, I said, I see what you mean. I said, I think you've got a good point. I said, I'm not sure if anyone sees it that way, but you've got a good point. 
But you know, the Lord Jesus never, never created a massage parlor and never started a war. Did you ever hear people that are followers of Jesus who do not go to war, do not fight? They, are pure, they live pure lives. They, they're, they're, they're not immoral in their living. Did you ever hear Christians like that? Well, I said, I, I think I did. I said, I'm not sure, but I said, I think some of those people that were standing over there, I think they represent that kind of the Christian faith. I think you ought to remember that. So we talked a while, and he calmed down. And after I looked at me, he said, I know who you are. I thought, what's coming now? And he said, when Muhammad was in the desert, and he was lost, and he was, had no food and no water, he was almost dead, and some Christians came along and found him and picked him up and took him to their tent, and they nursed him back to health again. That's what the Christians did for Muhammad. That's who you are. And he took his hand and stuck it out here, wanted to shake my hand. And so this man who was belligerent and wild just a short time before stands there shaking hands with a Christian. And so who's your neighbor? And who's your friend? And friends are found the most unlikely places. And if we have this spirit that we read about here in this 13th chapter, there's no end to what we can do with other people. I think your best friend should be your own family. And I think of your family, your best friend should be your parents. And my wife says that many times to me, that her best friend are her own children. And she's very close to her children. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think you as young people should consider your parents to be the best friends that you have. And if you're a daddy here this morning, or a mother, I think you should make that a priority in your home. We have classic examples of endearing friendships in the Bible, such as with David and Jonathan. And and these men were both warriors. I'm sure that was a common bond that brought them together. I often wonder why Jonathan did not do to Goliath what David did. Because he certainly seemed to have faith and had certainly a modest and humble attitude about himself and recognized that David would be king and he would not be. Understood that very, very well. But Jonathan was a powerful person. And with just one armor bearer, he went up against a garrison of the Philistines by himself. And they had a tremendous victory that day. And his own father, Saul, had nothing to do with it, nor knew anything about it. It seems to me that Jonathan would have had the capabilities of doing what David did. I don't know why God arranged it that way. But those two fellows found each other. And they were a tremendous blessing one to another. And the one saved the other one's life. And that's what Jesus said friends do for one another. Their greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. It's a tremendous opportunity in friendship. And then we have a a young lady who tried to make herself friendly and made a serious mistake in the Bible. She shouldn't have done what she did. We can learn from this. You young ladies here, you learn from Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. She had 12 brothers. You know that story. And she went out into the town. What she went out there for? To see the daughters of the land. She was going to go out there you know, and, and fill, fill up her scrapbook with photos. She wants someone to write in her autograph book. And so she's out here on the town. Made a serious mistake that day. And, and, and lost, her, lost her virginity till that was over. 
but she was, she was fishing in the wrong bowl, and she was going to the wrong place to find friendship. We have, to, we have to learn from those things. It's in the Bible. We need to learn from them. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It tells us that in several places in the Bible, especially in James. I like the fact that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, I call you friends. And Abraham was a friend of God. It tells us that three times in the Bible. He's a friend of God. The Bible tells us in chapter 33 of Exodus that when Moses was up there in the mountain with God, and a serious thing had happened, there was an idol down here, there was a golden calf, and this thing is now burnt, was now ground up and put in the water that the people had to drink, and the t- two tables of stone were broken. And Moses found, finds himself back in God's presence again, that though he had been up there for 40 days before, this time this your relationship with God is a bit different. Some things have happened, some serious things have happened. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Can you imagine talking to God like that? I think prayer should be that way. I think when we pray to God, we should have God as a friend. And I think we should believe that God receives us as friends. And and though we are greatly in need, and that's why we're on this earth and on our knees and we're calling upon the Lord, God is our friend. I think we should pray to him that way. As if we're coming to a friend at midnight. As if we're coming to a friend with a need. Coming to a friend that understands. Coming to a friend who cares. That's the relationship I want you to have with God. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. Now let me ask you something. Do you know the answer to this question? How many times did publicans and sinners come to Jesus' house for a meal? And I ask you another question. (laughs) How many times did Jesus go to their house? And so, to tell you that in order to have friends does not always mean that we have to do something for other people. Doing something for them, doing something for them. Sometimes the best way to get a friend is allow them to do something for us. And those publicans and sinners wanted Jesus to come to their house. They wanted him to be there. And sometimes friendships are developed because we allow somebody else to do something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And people appreciate that. People appreciate the honor of being able to contribute to your life. And if I'm always the great one, the big one, the know-it-all person, I'm going to miss out on friendships that I otherwise could benefit from. And when you're living in a third world country and you're looked at as the American and the one that had all the opportunities and the one that has some kind of a strange pipeline that comes to your house from this unknown, unlimited source that's someplace else, For them to be able to come to us and serve us and do things for us we can't do for ourselves and teach us how to do that rice and teach us how to do that mango sauce and teach us how to do that, it develops friendships that never never are broken because they found out that they were useful to us and we needed them. And friendships come that way. We'll talk more about that tomorrow morning. A friend never at all times, and there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, And if in your difficulties in life and in the problems and mistakes that you make, that person that you have been befriending and has been a blessing to you remains your friend still, even though something difficult has happened and maybe you made some mistakes, that is a true friend. You'd be thankful for that one. I just want to say in closing here, and look what that clock is doing over there, I want just to know that this Bible school is an excellent place to, to, to find friends, to make friends. 
you exchange names, you exchange autographs, you exchange photos here, I suppose you do, uh, here in your Bible school. You have a blessed privilege to make friends with the kind of people that dedicate themselves for a week to the study, the prayer, the discussions, the sharing that you're doing here. It's an pl- excellent place. Now, the Bible does say that to be friends, we must show ourselves friendly. And I think a friendly person is a person that communicates. And some of us are not as, not, not, it's not as easy for some of us to share our feelings and express ourselves as for other people. Some are very, very good at it. I noticed that among you here, even since we're here in a few days. Some of you are, come up and are just bubbling over with things to say, and, and others kind of stand on the fringes and, and you can kind of see that they wish you would stop by and say something to him when you walk back the aisle there, but, but they wouldn't take the initiative, you know, they wouldn't do it. But, but if you'd stop and talk to them, the, the face lights brights up, brightens up, and, and, and they, they're glad that they can talk with you. Do you know how that is? And, and yet, being able to share your heart, that's the secret of friendship. Not just be able to talk about the fact that, yeah, yeah, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, the class comes after this one. Yeah, 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 I had fish for dinner. But you can share your heart. You can talk about what's in here. You can talk about how you're feeling. And, and especially if you can tell somebody a mistake that you made, some difficulty in your life. A young man just came to me 30 minutes ago, told me something he had a corrected his life last night after the service. If you can come and share those inner things of your life, you'll have friends forever. The whole world is looking for someone who can can be real and can tell you who they really are. If you can share that with one another, that's friendship at its deepest level. It's the most beautiful thing. I want to encourage that with for you here. Take interest in life of the other. When you're asking people friend, questions, asking your friends questions, be, be careful about the question you ask. Don't ask questions that embarrass them. Don't ask questions that demean them and make them look small. Ask them questions that encourage them. You see someone, when they walk, they're limping. You'd like to know what happened to them. You have an accident? Something go, something go wrong? You fell off a motorcycle? What happened to you? Be careful how you ask that question. Might be very, very sensitive. That person might be very feel, feel very embarrassed about how this is working out in his life. And, and talk about something else first. Don't, don't bust into something like that. And expect that's going to be a conversation starter. But if you can get that person to explain what took place and you can ex- share that experience with him, he'll appreciate it deeply if you can talk about it in that kind of way. Be careful how you enter into those things. Not everyone has had beautiful experiences in life. Some have difficulties. And so you keep that in mind when you talk to people. Whispering separateth chief friends, the Bible says. This, this matter of whispering when other people are standing around, there's no way to gain, gain friendships with anybody. Well, I... I've learned this in life, that sometimes we must correct our friends. Sometimes our friends should correct us. The Bible says that the wounds of a friend are of great value. 
Let the righteous might be. It should be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It should be an excellent oil. It's a tremendous blessing. It's a benediction upon your life. If you have the wisdom to allow someone to help refine your life, to help purify your direction, to help you place your next steps upon this soil more carefully than the last ones have been placed. Let those people be your friends who loved you enough to care for you. And do not look at it as a threatening thing. It's something against your character, against your person. If someone tries to help you with a need in your life, someone loves you and maybe thought and prayed and struggled to know how to come and present it to you. And if someone had the grace to do that, let them be your friends forever. Just a few thoughts there about friendships this morning. And if you based it upon 1 Corinthians 13, those verses, it'll be a beautiful experience for you. And if you take those experiences into courtship, and you're not marrying a body, you're looking for a, a person with which to share your life, you certainly have a beautiful future in front of you. And may God bless you this morning.